Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, it is my great pleasure to welcome Greg Burlack to the show. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me. Greg is the Director of Strategic Sales at Checker. They are an AI-powered background check company. We're not going to talk about background checks or AI today. We're actually going to talk about what it takes to be a great AE. And just by way of background, we're going to shift gears for a little bit of time on the podcast for a few episodes here where we talk to top AEs. Greg, in order to get to know you first, love to ask you about an interesting or unusual hobby just so I can get to know you a little bit. Sure, sure. May not be too unusual, but I have an extreme, like almost unhealthy love for basketball. Played it my whole life and specifically the Miami Heat. So, you know, being from the New York area, people ask why. Couldn't actually tell you, but I am crazy about basketball. I play it with my son. I watch it as much as possible. Uh, and I do it in even semi competitive formats at, you know, local gyms and so forth. So that's a little unusual about me that besides doing sales and work and being a husband and a father, the thing that I think about all day, it's unhealthy, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, let's reflect a little bit on your career. You've had a good solid decade plus in the sales world. And maybe as you reflect back on some of the best AEs that you ever worked with in places that you were at, at Career Builder, at Greenhouse and so on, maybe conjure up in your mind one of those folks and and talk to me about what made them different and special. There's really two that stick out in my mind from some of my time over at Career Builder, actually. Two people that were mentors, two people that were very, very successful, still are today, leaders, top reps. And I think what made each of them unique was each one was a little different, right? So I'm thinking about one, he was he was relentless. Relentless in a very, very consultative way to customers, right? So never took no, no was an opportunity for that person to go find more information on the company and turn it into, let me find somebody who's going to give me a yes, right? In a very large scale sale, we're not talking about transactional sales, I'm thinking about strategic accounts, large enterprise and so forth. That person was also very consultative to a point where it was making the customer or the prospect actually unearth their own problems without him saying, is this the problem? It was asking really good discovery questions that made them unearth a problem and them actually figure out what they believe a solution should be without that person having to sell features or even talk about their own product. It was watching that when I was a younger AE and being on those meetings with this person was like, it was impressive to see that, right? They, they came up with the problem, like this is the problem we're having. And through extra questioning, they then unearthed a much larger pain than they originally were, were coming to talk to the career builder rep or whoever from. I would assume in those instances, the initial prospect comes in with knowledge of what they want to do. And the reason I bring this up is, you know, you read the challenger sale and it says, teach, tailor, take control, right? And you focus on the teach part. And I think it gives reps the impression that they need to come to somebody who is like going about their merry business with an idea that that person hadn't thought of and then develop that into pain. I'm super skeptical of that. I think there needs to be a seed of something, right? Like, you know, I'm in sales strategy and operations. So the seed might be, uh, I use this example a lot, our forecast was either too high or too low. There's a seed of pain there. 
And there might be something much deeper, a much deeper opportunity for a rep who sells a forecasting software tool or, you know, sales training or whatever it is. There might be a seed, but I think there needs to be a seed. I mean, has that generally been your experience that there must be a seed of something? I believe so. I believe whether it's known or unknown, there is a seed of something. And the best reps I've ever watched have asked good questions to unearth that and get the prospect or customer thinking for themselves as to what does that mean? Like, what's the consequence to that? And yes, so the short answer is I I do believe that that's got to be the genesis of things. Since I love kind of concrete, actionable stuff, can you either role play with me or role play in, you know, in yourself with, I mean, let's say it's a checker thing, right? So, you know, someone comes to you and I don't know, they had an issue where they hired some folks and subsequently they found out that, you know, they had missed something because they either didn't do a background check or they were using uh, another provider who had missed something important. Like maybe that's the initial seed. What sorts of questions would, would you ask in order to develop that into something deeper? Yeah, I mean, the, the questions would begin to say, what happened? What happened from that? Was there an incident? Was it just that something was unearthed that makes your legal team feel uncomfortable? But the short and sweet is, what happened because of that? And how did it impact not only that direct division or department, but did it potentially impact the greater organization some way, other departments? Did it start slowing revenue, right? Because maybe you're a staffing firm. And so I'm just essentially like start asking some of those questions to say, do you have to pull that person off assignment? Did you lose revenue? Did the customer lose somebody that was helping them? You know, did it cost you anything? Did it put you at risk as an organization, right? Was there big legal risk for a lawsuit and so forth? So you start asking around revenue costs and risk and have that be the genesis. And that's typically what I do. Then I ask those questions, you know, they could say it wasn't an incident, but it was something that our legal team would not be you know, happy about, right? And so then we go back and say, so it put the organization at risk. What is the remedy to that? I think we should all as, as AEs or salespeople be as much subject matter experts as possible in what we're doing, what we're selling, the industries we're going after, um, the problems we're solving as much as possible, right? Nobody's perfect. But I also believe that some of the best AEs that I've seen, they take the team approach. And so they say, I want to be dangerous enough or at least smart enough in what I'm doing to be able to effectively speak about it and not just say, oh, I don't know, I'll get back to you every single time. The earlier I bring in who I believe to be the more subject matter expert on all things, let's say background screens or you know the technology and so forth, the conversation tends to go much better. We find solutions together with the prospect to their challenges that may not be black and white, right? Or on paper, you know, the way. So I think the team approach to selling is, you know, even with the AE, what I've what I've found to be even better than the AE being the pure subject matter expert and trying to be the lone wolf and go at it alone. To what extent does going and talking to, well, let's say you're selling the background check services, like you might talk to HR individual contributors, recruiters, maybe even some hiring managers, like just people who wouldn't necessarily be involved in the decision process almost at all. To what extent is that part of your recommended strategy? Is is that an effective approach? Yeah, I think so. I think an effective approach, you can call it an accordion or you can call it two triangles with the tips touching on top of each other. But the approach that I think I found to be most effective is you have to have dual approaches going at the same time. 
when you're talking to the users, we'll call it right. Maybe they're not just HR, you know, individuals, but users. It's what's troubling you, what's painting your day, and so forth, right? And then what you're doing is you're gathering, or at least I am gathering some information, right? What things are working well, what things are not working well. Concurrently, you're reaching out to the top people at the organizations, right? We need to get higher. We need to find true pain. We need to find business impact, right? Because everything that we're selling has to have at least some sort of impact on the business. You don't just buy a product because eh, it's cool, right? And so what I've found to be most effective in my career and then those that I've seen to be very successful have had parallel paths going. We're starting at the bottom while we're also talking to the top. And we eventually believe, right, this is what I've seen, we're going to somehow come to the middle somewhere. The top might push us down a couple of levels. I'm not the right person. Talk to my VP of operations. And the bottom is going to be like, I'm not the right person to talk to, you know, talk to my manager or my VP. And at some point you end up, you know, if you do really good prospecting and good outreach and so forth, you're coming to the the level that want to want to make change, right? Or interested in the change. And I think that that's a parallel path happening at the same time and not let's just start with one. And if that doesn't go the way we want, we'll go to the top. You got to do both. When you engage the senior folks, do you let them know that you're talking to the individual contributors? Because I could see them having an objection, which is if every salesperson talked to my individual contributors, no one would ever get any work done. Do you tell them that, that you're talking to the, their folks in the early parts? I think it's a trial and error. I, I typically don't. I typically am focused on what they care about and things that I've seen you know, maybe on Google or when they've gone to conferences and they've spoken, whoever they are, and I've kind of taken some of those nuggets. And if there's a problem that we solve on our organization that ties to that, I just tie to that. Another effective strategy I found, and I hope a lot of companies are doing this, is kudos to both Greenhouse and Checker, where I am. The senior leadership is very involved, even with the prospecting efforts to say executive alignment even before there's a problem or challenge, I think is important because they were always, hey, listen, I'll send an email to you know that CEO. I'm the CEO. I'll send an email to that CEO. And let's see if we can open up dialogue. And I could say about 30, 40% of some of the deals that closed that were the largest ones had executive engagement well before there was an evaluation process. You said the second person was a little different than the first. What made the second person successful? That person was an evangelist spoke with conviction, spoke with passion. You heard truth in what they were talking about. And I found that to be very inspiring, right? This is somebody who really believed in what we were doing and selling um, and that we were truly disrupting uh, a, not only a product, but an actual industry with something that was more efficient, was you know helping to increase revenue, reduce costs, and reduce risk to organizations. And that's short and sweet on what that made that person very unique. As a buyer, I am, I'm reserved, right? I was an engineer before I mentioned that probably too often on the, on the podcast. And it took me actually some time to learn to have any degree of vocal variety and not sound like a robot. So therefore, let's say, you know, you're often selling to fairly technical or one can sell often to technical, technically minded people. And if you come in with like, a mismatch tone wise in terms of passion, I think the buyer can, they're going to put their guard up when they see that potentially. This person who I'm thinking about did a good job of tone matching. They did a really good job of getting that conviction and passion out 
in the right manner to who they were talking to. Reserve person who was very, oh yeah, oh yeah. They came out in a very positive, reserved way. Their passion was not over-emotional, right? So there's a difference between emotion and there's a difference between like conviction, evangelistic, this is how we're you know, disrupting an industry. And then when there was high-spirited people, I would call it, right, on the other side, they matched that tonality as well. They were, they were very... I bring them up because you you hit something I was going to hit on, which I love that you asked that, which is not confusing conviction and evangel evangelizing the idea or the solution against actual emotion, overly emotional, right? And I think a lot of salespeople do that. I've seen a lot that are like the faster and more exciting I speak, the person's going to believe it's it's you know it's really good, and that's not the answer. Like you just said, it, the answer is. Who's the person on the other line? What do they care about? I was just on a call yesterday, actually, funny enough. High-spirited team on their side. And then there was a very quiet person who chimed in 10 minutes before the end of the call and was very, let's just say, uh, less outspoken. Very, I want to understand this. I want to understand that. And a kudos to the sales rep on my team who, who matched that uh, energy. How would people that you work with describe you if I asked them this question? What do you focus on that potentially makes you different? I think I'm a good team player. I think I rally up, you know, the right people, quarterback a deal really well, you know, bring in the right people, the call before the call. Um, when we were selling a huge deal last year during COVID, right when it started hitting, we were really focused. We had like a 9 a.m. stand up, the, the team that was on the, the deal for three straight months, every single day almost irregardless of the day of the changes we did that. So I think somebody who gets things done, but also good to work with, I think. I, I take pride in being respectful. I take pride in being a good team player. I don't believe in those bulldogs that you know go through the company and say, I got to get everything done myself. And I think the other thing is really getting multiple champions within a company. I think I look at all the deals I've sold, or at least the big ones in the last three to five years, I've never just been single threaded. I had three, four, five, up to 12 legitimate champions within some companies that, you know, uh, I was working with. And I think that is something that, you know, I learned from some, some good leaders and some good sales companies that the impact of champions and the impact that having multiple champions, a few coaches would have uh, on a deal. What's the difference between a coach and a champion? I mean, for me, the champion has to have a win on their side. They go sell when you're not there for you or for your product, essentially. So they're acting as an extension of you. And I think there's other things, but this is a person that sells on your behalf, that has a win by buying your product or using your product or working with your organization and the services that they provide. I think the coach gets seen as a champion a lot of times by a lot of salespeople. Like, oh, this person really wants what we have, right? Or they keep saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to move forward. And I think what I've seen the best salespeople do is pressure test a little bit, respectfully pressure test the coach a little bit, right? And are they really a champion? Is there a win for them to use your product? Do they, are they selling on your behalf when you're not there? Do they understand how to sell on your behalf when they're, they're not there? Do they have access to the economic buyer, the person with the purse strings, right? Or the money or the person who could shoot down a deal. And when you pressure test those and you ask yourself the right questions and you work with your internal sales leadership 
you know, don't get offended when they're asking those questions and pressure testing you about the champion. They're just trying to actually help you, I believe. The coach is the one who we perceive to be the champion sometime. And we say, ah, oh, they really like us, but they don't meet some of those criteria. And I think we think that because they're positive and they say, yes, we want you. Yes, we're moving this forward. If we don't pressure test a little bit, we fall into them being just a coach. And then we get a lot of the, mm, not the right timing, mm, don't have the budget, mm, you know what, it, we, we new initiative or, yeah, you know what, we went with another provider, they were just lower cost or something. And I think that's when you do deal review and you're like, maybe that wasn't a champion. The pressure test I use is basically, will they or did they introduce us to the economic buyer? Maybe it's even to just, will they introduce us to someone else? Because I find that those enthusiastic buyers who are unwilling to set you up with their, even just their manager, right? Or their security team or anybody else in the organization. Maybe that's the test is just, are they willing to connect me with somebody else in at least one level higher authority than themselves? I agree. I don't think there's one right answer on it. I've seen deals close where that, I'll say coach or champion was introducing us to multiple different departments within the organization, but peers, right? So I'm looping in IT security on this next call because we want to learn about this. I'm looping in legal on this next call because they want to learn about this. But I think we can subtly start seeing and asking ourselves a third true champion if they're starting to loop in additional people into the process. If they're not and they're being very single threaded, I think that's when the, you know, the salesperson should start asking the right questions, right? And then at that point, you start pressure testing the me as well as a salesperson. Do you think that top AEs need to be highly process disciplined? And example processes would be deal reviews, as you mentioned, pre-call planning, as you mentioned. One we didn't mention was mutual plans. In strategic selling, I would assume you use mutual plans with your prospects. I think process is important. I think those without process are too scattered, right? They're just old school selling, picking up a phone book and just, you know, oh, whoever's interested, let me go. I don't see that to be enterprise, large enterprise or strategic account selling, right? But I think also be audible ready or be able to adapt on a dime when the process gets blown up, let's say, right? Or it doesn't go the way that you think it to go, right? The deal's progressing this way. I know that things are going well. We've gotten through each of the gates to move to the next stage of the decision-making process. And at some point, there's going to be the curveball. There's going to be the, the day or the moment you need to adapt. And I think process gets you and keeps you on track to stay within certain lines, but you have to be able to adapt to whatever's thrown your way at any stage of the sales process. Imagine a VC came to you and said, here's a big pile of money. I just want you to create a new revenue, you know, tech, rev tech company that would make your team's lives or your life easier. What would you go build? It's, it's making the actual RFP process significantly improved. Or how do we, how do we streamline technology or products that are going to help organizations make the RFP process better? That's where I'm thinking right now. There's other things too, but without sitting here going, hmm, let me think about that on, on the podcast. Um, I, I, that's, what's, that's what's burning in my mind. That's interesting. Is it that you, again, just remind listeners, you're, the context of this is you're, you're dealing with Fortune 20, Fortune 50 types of companies. So these are very large companies. Does almost everything ultimately go to RFP? Everything. 
And we've done a good job of getting ahead of it with companies. I think the deals that we've won really nicely are we've had a relationship before it. Irregardless, they go to RFP because of, you know, fair analysis, right? And we I don't I don't blame companies, right? You have to do a fair analysis and and so forth, but it does. And with certain organizations that are a little smaller, the actual process of of the RFP is is massive. It's a huge lift. And it takes the AE away from so much that they could be doing, more revenue generating, more production. I want I want more automation. I want here it comes. Let's go put it in, answer the questions, spit it out, and then allow the AE, the solutions person, the company to essentially do some adaptation because we're spending anywhere from 20 to 40 hours in every single week, almost every AE doing doing RFPs. To me, it's not revenue generating activities that they could be doing other things, building champions, finding out who the champions are, coaches, blueprinting accounts. So it's a big pain point. If people do want to get in touch with you, either about job opportunities or to, you know, to learn more about what it takes to be a great AE, what's the best way for them to do that? Come on LinkedIn, send me a note. I check it all day, every day. I love having the conversations, whether it's just two, you know, two salespeople talking like you and me, Jeremy, or if you're very interested in coming on board as, as checkers continuing to grow, great opportunities for sales, people doing really well. So love the opportunity either to share stories and learn from each other and chat or if you have some referrals or are interested, I'd, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you. Thanks so much for being on. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.